Irish Nation, we are just over a week away from kickoff of the Gator Bowl and equally importantly, if not maybe more importantly, today is early signing day for the class of 2023 recruiting, the lifeblood of college football. But before we get into the show, Mike, early Merry Christmas to you and the fam. This will be our last show of the calendar year 2022 heading into the holidays. I know you're up in Minnesota with the in-laws. How's your holiday celebrations kicking off? Merry Christmas to you too. Minnesota's been great. It's really cold. It's zero degrees right now and the wind chill is somewhere around negative 15. And it's, I think we have a blizzard advisory. So I was supposed to meet up with someone today, but then we obviously had to, had to cancel that. But it's scraping around, around family. I did injure my, my thumb in a skiing incident. It's, I don't have a cool skiing story. I basically was just, I just fell down <laughs> and I was holding a ski pole and I sprained my thumb. Key, key takeaway though is that thumbs are really important. So well, luckily not, not a bad injury, but it is kind of annoying trying to navigate with, uh, with, with my thumbs a little bit limited, but. Today, yeah, definitely big time day in college football. We're recording this on National Signing Day. Tons of recruiting drama. And I would say overall, not necessarily in a good way for Notre Dame, although we are still holding out some hope for potentially uh, some good news. But, but we'll see. We don't want to get too excited. Key themes so far just across college football are just really dramatic flips from programs and constant chatter about NIL and what the impact is. And so that's something that we'll talk about a bit in the show. But that, those seem to be some of the key themes that we're seeing so far from, from National Signing Day. So the irony with Mike being in Minnesota for the holidays is that I'm actually from Minnesota, got up there and, and stayed with my family, Mike, when, when we were up for your wedding. But despite me moving to the south to basically get away from cold weather, the temperature expected in Atlanta tomorrow is a whopping nine degrees, which is by far the coldest it's ever been down here since since I moved to Atlanta several years ago. So we're, we're also bracing for a uh, blustery Christmas season here. And yeah, I agree. A lot of drama, not necessarily in the best way um, for Notre Dame today. But what I would also say is a lot of the drama might not have been official and you know, ESPN plays it off as really big news. None of them were surprises, right? Like we knew Keon Keeley was gone. Peyton Bowen was the big headline decommitment, but, but of course that, that's been rumored for months that he didn't officially decommit, but wasn't really all in. So, so not a lot of surprises, but definitely dramatic, not in a good way. I'm also really excited to get into the bowl game. Um, I, I generally don't put a lot of stock in bowls, but it's another chance to watch Notre Dame. It's, it's another chance to watch your football team go out on the field. South Carolina, I think, is a really interesting matchup. So looking forward to getting into that one. So that, that's our two segments for today, covering National Signing Day and a Gator Bowl preview against the Gamecocks. Go follow the show, subscribe, get those alerts and automatic downloads, and then we'll be back in the new year to recap the Gator Bowl, hopefully with an Irish victory. We'll hand out season grades and then look ahead to 2023. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is my go-to when betting on football this holiday season. Same game parlays, easy and fast payouts, player prop options, and much, much more. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place a same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, player props, point totals, and more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger shot to win big. 
Download the DraftKings Sports app now. Use code TPPN, that's T-P-P-N. Place a $5 bet on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code TPPN. Minimum age of 21 and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Okay, hopping into one of the biggest days in college football of the year that doesn't relate to in-game performance, and we're talking about an early National Signing Day. So we're recording this right now on National Signing Day. There's still a few things hanging up in the air. Peyton Bowen, for instance, committed to Oregon, flipped from Notre Dame, but he still hasn't sent in his letter. So that's one element that we're waiting on right now. That's one thing that could change after we record and could change our perception about this class. Now, I'm gonna we're going to dive into some of the key events and trends, and Brett, I'm going to kick it over to you in a second, but... Let's start with with some of the major events that have happened with signing day and also in the the weeks leading up to it, and and then we'll move into bigger picture topics uh, and a bit about where this class stands. So my question is, what were these major recruiting developments on signing day and in the days leading up to it, and how much has this class fallen in recent weeks? We, for instance, had some notable blue chip players de- decommit in just the last few weeks. Yeah, absolutely. So this was a class that in the off season was number one in most recruiting rankings early on. And we've alluded to this a lot, almost making the political analogy to the quote-unquote blue wave you'd see in political elections, where one political party was more likely to be the votes that were being counted last than the other. So if you watch the election results early, it'd be heavily skewed towards one party. And as more votes got counted, it would come in more to the other party. And they called that the blue wave in the last couple of elections. It's kind of similar with five-star recruits in college football. They're, you know, the, the higher recruits are the ones that will often commit last. And so because of that, you'll see a big surge for Alabama and Ohio State and Georgia and you know other programs. And you saw that same thing here where Notre Dame got our four-star recruits early. But as the process went along, we got surpassed by those other programs reeling in the five-stars. And on top of that, Notre Dame struck out on a couple five-stars where we were in the hunt. And so big storyline number one, we were number one in the offseason. We were tracking top five, maybe even top three leading up to signing day. And then with a couple decommits here in the last few weeks, we're right now sitting at number nine. Um, good, not great. We'll get into kind of what that means in perspective a little bit later. And you alluded to some of those big names that, that we lost. So Peyton Bowen, he's ranked number 14 overall in the class, the number two safety per 24-7 composite. Big five-star recruit he's been committed for a long time but sort of it was like a commitment with an asterisk where he's still taking official visits he was tracking towards Oklahoma his girlfriend goes there he's got high school friends going there his brother's looking at it and then last minute he flipped from what everyone thought was going to be a decommitment from Notre Dame to Oklahoma going to Oregon so a total 180 um Mike you alluded to it he actually hasn't officially signed with Oregon yet So there's some rumors that stuff's going on. Notre Dame might still be in the hunt. Other schools might be in the hunt. So we're assuming Peyton Bone is not going to play for Notre Dame next year, at least while we're recording this, but not totally out of the dark yet. And then some of the other losses, I'd say, in the last couple of weeks are probably less of a big news. We lost Dylan Edwards, a four-star running back, along with Jaden Lamar, another four-star running back, both. Uh, you know, a top 200 recruit, a top 300 recruit. But most importantly, that was at the same time we were signing Jeremiah Love, the number 68 recruit in the class, a running back. 
by all accounts, the better recruit out of those other two running backs. So it felt like once we signed Jeremiah Love, the writing was on the wall for Dylan Edwards and Jaden Lamar. I know Edwards had a close relationship with Deion Sanders, so it wasn't a big surprise. He's now gone to Colorado to be with Coach Prime. Um, so those two, yeah, we lost them, but as more as we took someone else that we viewed as an upgrade, Peyton Bowen, and then overall Notre Dame really kind of slipping on signing day without a five-star recruit in the class. I think those are the two big headlines coming out of today. Definitely. So I agree with that. I think, I think you hit on it. We, Alabama, Ohio State, some of these programs, they were going to surge anyway, more so than we would, but we did also lose some recruits. And I think if we kept these guys, we probably actually had a shot at maybe landing somewhere around the top five, uh, with Peyton Bowen. But, um, so Peyton Bowen is the, is the big hit here. And actually, uh, I just have one, one comment. So Brett, you, uh, Payton Bone actually didn't take any official visits. He took a ton of unofficial visits. You're right. In Oklahoma. Correct. But, so, but yep. part of the, part of the shocker here on signing day for him signing with Oregon is that he, Oregon was trying to get him out for a last minute visit before signing day. And he said, he basically said no. And most people took that to mean, okay, it looks like this is an Oklahoma Notre Dame race. And that's what most of the, most of the beat was saying. And 24 hours before, most, most intel was saying, He's going to be going to Notre Dame. Apparently he told Notre Dame recruits on a Zoom call that he was actually coming. So he shows up on National Signing Day. He has his hats on the table. He puts on, he actually puts on the Notre Dame hat. His mom jumps up, starts clapping, is really happy. And then he flips it, puts on the Oregon hat and just kind of stuns everyone. But yeah, there's a lot of noise here. There's a lot of rumors about NIL. Oregon potentially seems like they might be a school that's a little more aggressive with it, but these are just rumors. So we don't know exactly what's going on here, but certainly some big hits. You like to see your team surging a bit more on National Signing Day. And we would, again, we would have slipped anyway, but I think if not for some of these decommits, we would have held up a little bit better. Now, moving on to the next topic. So we were talking a little bit more about events that happened recently, a little bit more small picture, a little bit more of like details that were happening in the last couple of weeks. Let's move to the big picture here. And so Brett, how do you think the stack, this class stacks up versus prior classes? And what do you think it means overall for the talent level and health of the program? Yeah, I'll let you get into some of the more specifics. I know we talk about blue chip ratio a lot, which is your ratio of four stars and five stars versus three stars. So Alabama and Georgia, 80% of their roster is comprised of four stars and five stars. Notre Dame's has been around 50 to 55%. So, you know, half of our players are four stars and five stars. To basically contend for national championship, that number needs to be 60% and above in recent years, probably 70% and above. This class will push that, we think, above 60% for the first time in program history. Um, I, I think we were right at 60% going into this year. And so that's a big um, step up. Sorry, we were at 62% this year. It might push us yep. to 65% or higher. So this this was another step in that direction to get more blue chips in the door. But number nine overall... You know, you can look at different point metrics for 24-7 or on three or some of the recruiting websites, but number nine overall is basically a above average Kelly class. So like it's, it's slight improvement over what Kelly did in recruiting, but it's not a game changer. And, and you can make arguments and we'll get into kind of biggest areas of weakness that we had to fill. You can make an argument as more balanced and, and it filled out more key positions. But my big takeaway was it's a baby step in the right direction. It's continuing to build on what Kelly did. It is definitely an above average top quartile Notre Dame recruiting class 
something Kelly wasn't producing early on in his tenure and was getting in the last few years. But it's not this big step change that everyone, I think, wanted to believe about Marcus Freeman was you had this young, engaging, enthusiastic coach that was going to make a, you know, wild improvement in recruiting. This class is not that. There are no five stars in this class. If you don't get five stars at Notre Dame, you can't tell me you're doing a materially better job than, than the prior regime. And then to me, the, the big takeaway is, are you willing to take marginal improvement in recruiting if the trade-off is not having the experienced coach that's going to get a team ready to beat Marshall and Stanford? And and this is not to say I'm now not on board with Marcus Freeman. I'm very supportive of Marcus Freeman. But the big argument for Marcus Freeman always began and ended with recruiting. And if recruiting isn't a big step change improvement, we have to ask that question. We have to ask the question, then we need to put him under a tighter microscope for on-field performance. And that was shaky this year. That was shaky at best. And so to me, that's the big takeaway is number nine is great. Modest step forward, but if it's not a leap step forward from Kelly, we've got to put a tighter microscope on on this program over the next one, two, three years. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. So I think kind of the tease of this class is that it did look like we legitimately had a shot at the top five class. And if you get that, I think you can live with eight or nine wins a little bit longer than you can if you're getting top 10, top 15 classes. So it certainly tightens the level of scrutiny around Freeman. And I think Freeman could be a great coach. I think, I think I'm hoping next year, some of these games like Marshall and Stanford, hopefully they were just kind of first year head coaching anomalies and were a little bit more consistent. So if that happens and the results are, are better, then I think then that, that changes things a little bit here. But part of, part of the appeal, part of the argument with Freeman was, this is a guy who's going to close the gap from a talent standpoint. And this class, this class doesn't quite do it. Again, it's a tease because we thought we might get it for a bit. And then we kind of had the rug pulled under from us as we closed. But so, so it's just a little bit disappointing. And I don't know, you know, we'll get into this a little bit more. How much, how much of this is actually on Freeman? How much of this is just institutional issues and, and barriers that Freeman has to work with as in other programs or putting themselves in better positions with NIL or transfer portal, things like that. So there's some question there about how much of this is actually on Freeman, but I, I, I do agree that if he's not recruiting quite at the, that high, high level you, you were expecting, you have to look more closely at the game results. Now, moving on to, to one of the- To be clear, to be clear, brother, I want to build on a couple of those things. So I do think most of this is on Notre Dame's administration and not the football coach, but I felt that same way about Kelly, right? The fact that there's a lot of reports over time that have come out that the admissions department Mainly based on the under, the, the high school players class schedule. Like, did they take algebra? Did they take calculus? Did they take physics? Did they take foreign languages? We'll deem about two thirds of top 100 recruits ineligible. So a lot of these high end recruits oftentimes are deemed ineligible. Now there's no, like, they're not publishing a report on this. There's a lot of rumors and, one-off journalist articles with, you know, insert interviews with, with people on the admission staff and people inside the athletic department. NIL now is a bigger issue, right? A lot of the Peyton Bowen situation seems to have largely come down to NIL. Marcus Freeman straight up said in his interview today that if NIL is your primary decision for where you want to go to college, Notre Dame's probably not the right spot for you. That's very clearly Notre Dame's choice, not Marcus Freeman's choice. Whether or not Marcus Freeman would make the same choice or not, I don't know. But that's the rules in place at Notre Dame. So this is a big Notre Dame issue. 
However, the point of Marcus Freeman was to be able to recruit better than Brian Kelly, despite the obstacles that both Brian Kelly and Marcus Freeman um, have at Notre Dame. So I totally agree this is about the Notre Dame administration, but I also need to acknowledge like Kelly had those too, and, and his last couple of recruiting classes were as good as this one. The other point that I just want to really highlight is at one point in this recruiting cycle, Peyton Bone was committed to Notre Dame, number 14 recruit overall. Keon Keeley was committed to Notre Dame, number 10 recruit overall. He decommitted way earlier in the season and has since signed with Alabama. And then Dante Moore, we haven't talked about, five-star quarterback, um, actually was looking heavily to Oregon. And then he recently flipped to UCLA for, for NIL money. So two of those three, Dante Moore and Peyton Bowen, very squarely seems like it's come down to NIL as, as a highlight of where Notre Dame has gone. One of the things, though, to call out there that is a total opinion, you can take either sides of this, Freeman was a good enough recruiter to at least be the lead at one point in time in the process for three five-stars. We have not been able to say that about Brian Kelly since really the first few recruiting cycles when Brian Kelly's at Notre Dame. However, the contrary side to that is Brian Kelly was sick of having five stars decommit at the end of a process and basically said, if I think there's a chance you're going to flake, I'm not spending the time on you, and I just don't want decommits in my class. And so Brian Kelly only had one or two or three decommits. So there's this real like chicken and an egg of like, is Freeman doing better that he's in the conversation with these five stars? Or are we just setting up for decommits on signing day and we would have been better off pursuing someone else who's, you know, maybe a high end four star instead of, you know, instead of chasing Dante Moore, would have you been better off chasing, you know, I'm going to make up a, a total name here out of the hat, but like going after one of the other QBs in the class instead of sort of, you know, falling down to you going after Chris Vizena, who wound up going to Clemson. At one point in time, he was interested in Notre Dame. We put all our chips in the basket for Dante Moore. So part of this is like, is Freeman doing better? And he just didn't quite close the door, but next year he will on these five stars. Or is it, Brian Kelly actually maybe had the right answer of like, don't chase the guys that you think are going to flake and decommit and then leave you empty-handed on Sunday. I don't know the answer to that. But right now it feels pretty bad that we had three top 15 players that at one point in time were leaning Notre Dame and are now not going to be playing with a gold helmet next year. Yeah, it's very disappointing. And that's the question is, is this something that uh, Freeman is just going to have to learn, that he's learning the hard way and then his strategy is going to eventually adapt to more of the Brian Kelly strategy, which potentially, which Kelly clearly thought at one point was the most efficient way to approach things. So that's the question here. And also, I mean, another thing I was thinking about is Freeman seems to be a better recruiter, and it seems like he's embracing the program in ways that Kelly wasn't, and he's selling the program in ways that wasn't. But And even if the results are the same, we are in a different landscape now compared to when Kelly was still the coach. NIL is a much heavier component now. So if Brian Kelly were still the coach, maybe his recruiting results would be even worse than what they were near the end of his tenure. And maybe Freeman's still kind of keeping us around that same level, whereas if we still had Brian Kelly, we'd actually be dropping off quite a bit. So that's another thing to, to think about, but it, that's one of those things that's impossible to ever know. You could never know. There's no way you could ever actually figure out wh- what that actually is. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give some numbers right here just to kind of put this class in context, because while some of these elements about losing five stars are very frustrating and it suggests maybe that we're still not at that level of attracting talent to, to really contend 
with places like Alabama and Georgia. It's as Brett, as you mentioned, it still is a step forward. It's just not the big leap that it was looking like at a time. So compared to the last 15 years, this is a very strong class. It would definitely be one of Kelly's better classes. It wouldn't be his best class. But, um, and also it's, it's a very well-rounded classes too, which we'll discuss in a little bit. But so as of time of recording, we're number nine right now, which that's pretty consistent with a lot of Kelly classes. And we have a score of 280 per the 24 seven composite. Now that, that score is actually a lot higher than what we've typically had. The ranking is not as good, but that score is actually quite a bit higher. So the best score that we ever got was in 2013. That was Kelly's class. That was his best class. That was at the score of 285 and we had a rank of number five. So we're not too far off from Kelly's from a rating standpoint, his best class. And actually this would, um, this would actually mark from just a, a, from like a score standpoint, this would actually rate is the second best class that we had in 15 years. But again, when you factor in ranking, that's, that's another important element. So we're, we're not as high there. So I, 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 from like a rate, from a ranking standpoint, we actually match up much more closely with 21 and, and, and 22. So, and then as you alluded to here, I think there's certain metrics you always have to look at that measure your level of talent. One of them is the blue chip ratio and this class will definitely move our blue chip ratio up higher. As you said, it was 62%. We'll, we'll certainly tick up higher. And then even from the 24-7 talent composite. So we ranked number 10 this past year. So the talent of the program was at a top 10 level. And then this year, we're, it looks like we're going to be closing somewhere in the top 10. So and so we're definitely going to move up. But one important, another important element to mention here is that some of the classes that we had around 2017, 2018, they weren't quite as talented as the ones that we've been getting recently. So we'll be dropping one of those and then we're picking it up with a talented class. So if you're lapping and compounding with these talented classes, that actually provides a benefit to where if you hit top 10 every year, in reality, you're, the actual talent level of your program could end up being higher than that because there are other programs that kind of ebb and flow. So we, I think we might get some element here. I think that sustained recruiting success is something that's really important here. It's really good that uh, Freeman seems to have kept that going. Again, it's frustrating that we didn't take that big leap, but we're still we're still we're still staying on track. And the question is, is if Freeman's if the Freeman and the administration are going to figure out a way to take us to the next level in recruiting, or or Freeman's going to be able to take that next step as a coach or developer to to really optimize this talent, which is which is really tough. There are only a few instances where, if you don't have that top three, top four talent level, where you're able to get your program to really make that jump to contend for a title. Now, looking a little bit more into the pieces of this class, as I mentioned, it was a very well-rounded class. And so, Brett, do you want to jump in and, and let our uh, listeners know what you think were the biggest needs that we filled in this class? Yeah, I think the first, second, and third answer is wide receiver, wide receiver, and wide receiver. Um, this has been talked about a lot. The prior wide receiver coach, Dell Alexander, really struggled with recruiting in the last few cycles. Chancey Stuckey came in, and and the big momentum behind Chancey Stuckey was recruiting, and he hit a home run class here. Um Brought in the number 125 recruit, Braylon James, the number 133 recruit, Jaden Greathouse, the number 221 uh, recruit in the class, Rico Flores. So three wide receivers in the top 225 of the class. Really haven't seen that at Notre Dame in, in a long time, along with the three-star Caleb Smith, ranked outside the top 500. So both talent and depth with some high-end four-stars, uh, four wide receivers overall, if you start combining that with the momentum we got last year, um, Lorenzo Styles, Jaden Jaden Thomas, Deion Colsey, Tobias Merriweather, um, that is now going to be seven four-star recruits in the wide receiver room that have at least two years of eligibility remaining. Um, and I think other than Styles, they all have 
three remaining or more. I think Thomas and Colsey had a red shirt, but don't quote me on that. So either way, youth, depth, high-end talent. The goal should be now next year or for sure the year after that. We're not talking about our wide receiver room as a limitation for our quarterback. We're just talking about is our quarterback getting talented receivers the ball. And this is a huge recruiting class in that um in that direction. So wide receiver by far the biggest thing that brought balance to this class. And and the other thing that I'd say is um opposite of that is always the cornerback, right? So if you want to be an elite program, we talk about this a lot. Offensive and defensive lines make you a top twenty five program. Quarterback play, wide receiver play, cornerback play. So basically explosive passing games is what takes you from being a top 25 program to being a top five program. That's what gets you over the hump to truly contend for championships. So we back that up now. We have Jaden Mickey and and Ben Morrison were two phenomenal four-star cornerbacks last year that played on the field this year. And we brought in two more top 200 high-end four-star recruits in Christian Gray and Micah Bell. So a lot of talent coming in on the perimeter. If you look at wide receiver and cornerback, that's five top 200 recruits coming in on the perimeter. And we didn't really lose our DNA. This was a really great offensive line class. This was a really great defensive line class. Maybe the one knock or two knocks is, you know, a little weaker at linebacker where we have a lot of depth, a little weaker at tight end. We don't have that, you know, iconic you know, top 100 tight end recruit, like the next Mike Mayer is not in this recruiting class, but much more balanced across position groups. And that really stands out at wide receiver and cornerback. Definitely one, one takeaway. So it depends on which recruiting service you're looking at, but this class, every single position has a top 300 recruit. So there are no, there are no glaring weaknesses anywhere. Wide receiver and corner. Those are definitely the headliners that you hit on Brett. Wide receiver in particular, because that was one going into the cycle that we just had to hit a home run on. And we didn't get any five stars, but we got a ton of really good high impact players. So, um, so that was big. And corner, that's just a position we've never really recruited particularly well. We've gotten good production out of it in the year, uh, over the year. Someone like Julian Love, great corner. Troy Pride was really productive as well. But we haven't really had those really high end recruits. And now we're actually starting to get them. So we'll have two straight years, two straight classes of some good four star corners. Um, we have a lot of ta- we should have a lot of talent in that room, so I'll be excited to see what we can do with that. And then, as you mentioned, just like overall across the board, we did well on the offensive line, the defensive line. On the offensive line, we got Charles. Uh, I'm gonna mess up his name, Jagusa. <laughs> but so he's 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 that is so that is we did actually get a pretty big impact player on the offensive line. He's a top 50 player. On the defensive line, we got a bunch of really solid guys. We didn't really. Obviously, it's a different type of defensive line class if we got someone like Keon Killey. But overall, I think the theme with the offensive line and the defensive line is we got enough talent, enough depth to kind of keep the uh, keep keep the keep the rooms chugging, keep things going. There shouldn't be a huge drop off with what we got. And then one other note I'm going to mention: we didn't get, we did not get Dante Moore. We've mentioned that a few times already, and things were not looking good for a while. It looked like we were going to strike out at quarterback at a time when we just need to accumulate as much talent at that position as possible, especially given the events of this year. But they were able to, you got to give credit to Tommy Reese. He was able to recover and get Kenny Minchie. Uh, he was able to flip him from Pitt. And Kenny Minchie is ranked number one, 165, so almost a top 150 player. Someone who's not probably not going to be able to contend for playing time immediately, but someone who could develop into a nice player down the line. So overall, 
I think even though this class isn't, again, it's not like a top three, top five class, there aren't any, there aren't any real gaps. They like pretty much addressed everything. We don't have the high end talent that we were hoping for. Uh, but overall, I think, I think you got to look at, look at how it affects the program moving forward. And I wouldn't expect any, any gaping roster holes based on, on, on how we constructed this class. The one last topic that builds off of that is the quarterback position which especially going to the bowl game, we'll hit on this in the preview for, for the Gator Bowl. The quarterback position is an area of weakness. Drew Pine was okay, good game manager, wasn't going to blow the doors off. We need to go and get Jack Cohn to plug last year. And Ian Book was a very above-average game manager for sure, but was not a blow-the-doors-off Heisman-caliber conversation quarterback. Like if, if Notre Dame was playing in a conference, Ian Book was not going to be all conference. Certainly not first team. And so where that goes is Drew Pine's transferred out. Um, Minchie has now committed to Notre Dame, decommitted from Pittsburgh. So that's a top 200 recruit coming in. And Tyler Buckner is going to be healthy for the Gator Bowl and is allegedly starting. So we're going to get a really good chance to evaluate him. We'll get to this in a second, but that is. Headlines number one, two, and three for the Gator Bowl is, is how does Tyler Buckner perform? Where that leaves us is the transfer portal. So this isn't a recruiting topic, but it, it's a related topic of Notre Dame needs a quarterback in the transfer portal because injury-prone Tyler Buckner, true freshman Minchie, and redshirt freshman or you know rising sophomore Steve Angeli, that is a thin room with little to no experience and talent behind Di- Tyler Buckner. Nothing against what I think Angeli and, and Minchie can be in the future, but those guys are not going to lead Notre Dame to 10 wins next year if, if, if Buckner goes down or Buckner's you know, not performing at a higher level than what we saw in the first two games of the year. And so, Mike, what's the update on the transfer portal? Is, is Notre Dame making progress towards a QB? Are our top quarterbacks or top targets still on the board, or have they gone elsewhere? Where's the state of play in the transfer portal for a quarterback? Yes, yeah, so Notre Dame is definitely looking at the transfer portal, but there have def- there have been moves in the market. So some big names are off the board already. The top option in the portal was Devin Leary, NC State quarterback, was ranked the number one quarterback in the transfer portal rankings, and, and the number five player overall. So potentially a type of quarterback can come in and make a really big impact immediately. So he announced he's transferring Kentucky. I don't know that Notre Dame was ever actually in it. Certainly someone that we would have been interested in. It didn't seem like there was a whole lot of traction. But worth mentioning that he's off the board. And then another player, this is another player who didn't really necessarily seem like, like him coming to Notre Dame was ever t- totally realistic, but that's, uh, that's Grayson McCall. And he's, he was the number two quarter, uh, transfer portal QB, number six overall from Coastal Carolina. He's, it seems like he's heading to Florida. He's not, it's not official that he's off the board, but it looks like he's heading to Florida. So with those guys off the board, I'm going to move into what some more viable options are for Notre Dame and who we could potentially get. So, First, we have to start with with Hudson Card at Texas. So Hudson Card, he is the highest remaining QB option in the portal rankings. He's number twenty overall. He's currently an undergrad. He'd be an undergraduate transfer, and we've talked about this before. That complicates it a little bit more with Notre Dame administratively. It's much easier for a grad transfer to come in, just from a credit standpoint. So that's an element. Apparently, Marcus Freeman's been working with the administration behind the behind the scenes to try to figure this out because this has become a big element in modern college football is is the transfer portal and and undergraduate transfers. So, assuming that that's not a problem, this is a guy who seemingly is probably the best available transfer portal QB 
Um, in terms of his background, he was at Texas the last two years. Top 60 recruit overall in the 2020 class. So a high-end four-star, not a five-star. I think he clearly offers more upside than what else is uh, in, in the portal. And um, I think if you're looking for someone who has the potential to have a high-end impact on the team, this is really, I think this guy's pretty much the only option that I see in the portal right now. And on top of all that, uh, so far, he's the one quarterback in the portal that uh, there's really been any smoke about him and Notre Dame having a connection. So there has been some chatter that, there, that Notre Dame could be a destination for him. We haven't necessarily seen that with, with some of the other places. Now, moving on to a couple other options that are maybe – it's interesting that I say someone like uh, DJU doesn't have high-end upside because that was that pretty much kind of defined his game for a while. But uh, I'll put these – I'm going to put these couple guys right here into the category of uh, more experience, but – but with with some with some major flaws, and so the two guys that I'm putting in this category are Brennan Armstrong from UVA and DJU from Clemson. So they're more experienced. They rank number 34, number 29, respectively, in the portal rankings. Armstrong had actually played really well at UVA uh, throughout his career, but then but then he dropped off quite a bit this past year under a new offense. DJU, as Notre Dame fans have been familiar with, we played him a couple times. Big time five star recruit coming in, really strong arm. He's big. He can move. But he's just been really inconsistent at Clemson since he's been there. He hasn't really, he hasn't really consistently shown that five-star potential. So these two guys, they, if Notre Dame were to end up getting them, there's no guarantee that they would be high-end players. They've shown, they've gotten, there's plenty of film on these guys. Basically the, I wouldn't say the verdict's out on them, but at the, at a minimum, it would, it wouldn't be surprising to me if they were very inconsistent players. Whereas someone like Hudson Card, it seems like there's still that hope that he could be that someone who could actually break through and be really, really meaningful. It may not matter anyway. It sounds like DJU's probably heading to UCLA. He took an unofficial visit there. He's from the Los Angeles area, so it seems like he might be heading there anyway. Brennan Armstrong. The one, the one thing on DJU, by the way, is it looked like he was heading to UCLA before five-star recruit Dante Moore flipped from Oregon to UCLA. Yeah. So now that a five-star quarterback is going to be coming in as the incoming fresh, uh, freshman, I wonder if that'll change DJU's perspective. And he's a guy, by the way, I know he got a lot of knock at Clemson. And I think it was often because it's like, well, he's not Deshaun Watson. He's not Trevor Lawrence. He's not the next great Clemson quarterback. He's good. I mean, he threw for 22 touchdowns and seven interceptions this year with nobody in the wide receiver room. Um, made a really big improvement off of his 2021 stats when he really struggled. Nine touchdowns to 10 interceptions. Flipped around to 22 touchdowns to seven interceptions. Um, I, I think he would be a really good fit in South Bend, a big physical guy to go with a big physical running back. He'd have a better wide receiver room, I think, with the development we're seeing in our wide receiver room. So I'm, I'm high on DJU. I know he's leaning UCLA. I wonder if that changes with the Dante Moore news. Yeah, definitely could change things up. And I think you raised some good points there, Brett. I mean, I think any of these guys are better options than – like if we had any of those guys this year, that would have been a better option than Drew Pine. So I, th- I think we should be pretty clear about that. All these guys have, like, po- like these guys have all per- like shown they've they've flashed really strong potential and have actually been very productive at times. So um, while they may not be Deshaun Watson necessarily, um, they still could be really good players. It could be productive. It could be more kind of fall, fall more into that Jack Cohn category, which is not a bad category to fall into at all. And then the other name I'm going to mention here, and he also falls into this category of more experienced options that maybe don't necessarily fall into like that Hudson Card area of 
could be a breakthrough player at some point. Uh, so Spencer Sanders at Oklahoma State, he's transferring. He's, he ranks number 96 in the portal rankings, so he's a little bit further behind than these other guys. Played at uh, Oklahoma State for four years, has quite a bit of game time, uh, and he's been good. He's been he's he's and I think that's the takeaway. He's been a good player there, but he's never been great. He's been pretty inconsistent. He's had a lot of boom or bust moments. And so I kind of see him as someone that Notre Dame should... Including, by the way, his biggest boom moment was beating us in the Fiesta Bowl. Exactly. Notre Dame fans should at least know he has the ability to throw for 400 yards against us. He does in the second half. Yeah, he had a big uh, boom moment in the second half against us, which was uh, a very very frustrating game. But... uh, so look, he's he, he's someone who I think Notre Dame should go after if if all these other options kind of fall through. I think you still you still go after someone like Sanders. He's someone who would still be a, a welcome addition to the room if you can't get any of these other guys. And then one one other final note I'm going to make on potential options is apparently Sam Hartman at Wake Forest. There are a lot of rumors that he could enter the transfer portal. Wake Forest is an academically inclined school. Sam Hartman, I think he would be a grad transfer. Actually, I'd need to double check that. But if if that's he actually definitely would be. I think he's been there like for like four or five years. But yeah, so he, someone he like that be could be could be a, a yeah. He would be a good he could be a potentially a good addition to Notre Dame. He's he's had a lot of success at Wake Forest. They, Wake Forest isn't exactly dripping with talent, so and he's put up some pretty strong numbers there. So that that could be a potential option too. We're not going to talk about that too much though, because he actually hasn't entered the portal yet. So that would be something that potentially we discuss a little bit later. Now, taking stock of all this, I, I think it. I if this probably came through from my comments, but clearly I think I think Card is the best option here. He doesn't have quite as much experience as some of these other guys, but I think he definitely to this point seems to offer the most potential upside. He also ranks the highest. The other guys, they have more experience, but they're, they've shown through that experience that they have some flaws. And we haven't seen that yet from someone like Card. So I think if we're really holding out for that difference maker, it seems like Card is probably the guy. Uh, and coincidentally, he's the one that we've been linked to the most thus far. So you kind of combine the both. Most likely to, to break through and be an elite player, and also most likely for Notre Dame to get. So to me, that seems like the, a pretty good The other pairing. big takeaway I have from this is, slippery slope for Marcus Freeman and Tom Reese to not have screwed this one up. So we basically told Drew Pine, we're going to bring in a transfer quarterback and Tyler Buckner staying, and you're going to have to be part of a three-way QB competition. And from what we saw in the field, you are not the leader in the clubhouse despite starting. I'm totally okay with that assessment. But if you make that assessment, you communicate that to Drew Pine, who's now transferring to Arizona State, Good luck, Drew Pine. I'm always going to be rooting for you. Really awesome watching you you play with a gold helmet. But now to the coaching staff, you got to go get a transfer quarterback better than Drew Pine. Like if, if you let him loose, you need to replace him. According to on3.com, Drew Pine is the number 18 transfer QB in, in the class. Um, I'm not sure that translates to overall, but, but it's 18 among quarterbacks. And most of them now are gone, right? Like we've said Devin Leary, but we haven't said guys like Nick Evers from Oklahoma, Phil Dracovich from Boston College, Jacoby Criswell from UNC, who lost out the starting job to Drake May, but was very high-end. Cade McNamara, who led Michigan to the college football playoff, is going to Iowa. Graham Mertz from Wisconsin. Like, there's a lot of guys ahead of us, uh, sorry, ahead of Drew Pine that have already transferred where, like, if we strike out on Brennan Armstrong and Spencer Sanders and DJU and Hudson Carr, after that, none of those guys are better than Drew Pine that, that are left on the board. Like, like, would you rather want Drew Pine or Chance Nolan from Oregon State who, who couldn't win a job there or Davis Brin from Tulsa? I, I would take Drew Pine 10 times out of 10. So I think there's a sneaky lot of pressure on the coaching staff 
to go and land a transfer after basically telling Drew Pine, hey, you should leave the program because we're going to replace you with a transfer. It would be a bad look if we then didn't replace Drew Pine with, you know, a better option. So before we get into the Gator Bowl, that was my last takeaway is there's a lot of pressure on this coaching staff. Um, the one thing that could save all that is if Tyler Buckner goes and balls out. So that, I think that's a good transition to dive into the Gator Bowl preview. If you're coming here because of NIL, it's probably not going to be the best place for you. Okay, jumping into our preview of the Gator Bowl against South Carolina. Brett, how about you kick this off? Can you let us know a little bit more about this South Carolina team? Who are they? I don't mean that jokingly. I'm, I'm actually just asking a question to, to just get your, your big picture view of uh, – of, of who this team is and, and what your yeah it's are. it's a complicated story in the last two years for, for South Carolina in 2021 Shane Beamer comes in son of the Hall of Famer from Virginia Tech Frank Beamer comes in as a first year head coach and they actually struggled to fill this role that they were rumored to have given out a few other job offers and no one was really taking the job and Shane Beamer didn't have a lot of experience before this. He's the tight end coach at Oklahoma. He, he had some other roles as, you know, running back coach at a few other schools. Not a high profile candidate. And Will Muschamp kind of left the program in a mess. So Beamer fires everybody, starts the program over, bunch of, uh, players transfer out. And their roster was so thin that at one point in the season, they ran out of healthy quarterbacks and they turned to a grad assistant, a coach, who still had remaining eligibility and because he was a grad assistant could actually play. So they had a coach playing quarterback in an SEC football game, which again, I guess, you know, SEC football, you know, they say it's just different. So I get it. You know, it just means more going <laughs> out there with, with your, you know, grad assistants playing, playing quarterback, but it was a really good feel good story they, they finished yeah. six and six. They made a bowl game. They beat UNC there's actually a great, you know, meme or gif of Shane Beamer that they have the Gatorade tub of mayo to dump on the coach and they couldn't get the mayo shook out of the Gatorade tub. So they started shaking it harder and they actually knocked the coach in the head with the Gatorade tub. So congrats, Shane Beamer. Great 2021. Coming into 2022, the big offseason news was five star quarterback transfer Spencer Rattlers coming in from Oklahoma. He was at Oklahoma supposed to be the next Baker Mayfield, Jalen Hurts, like really can Kyler Murray really continue the Lincoln Riley quarterback pipeline. And he fizzled out. It, it just didn't work. And at South Carolina, he did okay. Thing, things were going fine. They were six and four going into their last two games. They made another bowl, but they were pretty much average in every statistical category. This was not a vaunted team for anyone to fear. And out of nowhere, Tennessee and Clemson, basically all they have to do is beat South Carolina and Tennessee and Clemson are going to be in the college football playoff and South Carolina beats them both. So this is a team that was six and six last year and it was a feel good story, was six and four this year and kind of sputtering along. And once again, they're the feel good story with two huge top 10 wins to close out their season. Yeah, I mean, they remind me a little bit of Notre Dame this year. It's just we ha you have some head-scratching moments, and they're, they're head-scratching moments when you look at the peaks of the season when you're beating teams like Clemson and Tennessee, especially in the manner that they did. It's, it really shows you kind of like a boom-and-bust team, which which is kind of what we were. Now, moving into the, the advanced stats a little bit more to tell you what, what those say, SP Plus, they, they do like this team. So 
uh, if you're an SEC team that does reasonably well and you have a couple big wins, you're probably going to rank pretty highly in, in SP+. SP+, has them in 26. Average, However, average to below average in just about every other stat, which you mentioned already, Brett. Again, despite bringing in Spencer Rattler, who, interestingly, his pro football focus grade is right in line with Drew Pine. Uh, another factor with Spencer Rattler is his chunk plays over 10 yards ranks 83rd in, in the country, which was was not a good stat. Another, moving to the run game, relatively non-existent, 103rd in the country in, in line yards allowed. And then the defense is, is quite average from SP Plus standpoint to ranked 53rd, 111th in success rate allowed. So Notre Dame, we should be able to keep the offense on schedule. We should be able to move the ball. They were 124th in line yards allowed. So in particular for our our, our line for our running game, we should be able to get some push. We should be able to get some yards on the, on the ground. The only, the only metric that we track that was actually top 40 for the defense is a pro football focus pass rush grade of 36. So that's one area where the defense maybe could actually generate some havoc. If our offensive line is not on their game, uh, against the pass rush, South Carolina has potentially shown some ability to get after the quarterback and, 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 and create some havoc that way. Now, combining all that though, so SP plus gives, compared to Notre Dame, gives them South Carolina a two point edge against Notre Dame on a neutral, neutral field. But both these teams are very difficult to figure out, as I mentioned. They've beaten some really good teams, but then South Carolina, they got blown out by Florida. And then Notre Dame, we beat Clemson, but then we had a head scratching losses to, to Marshall and Stanford. Just very, inconsistent teams and then when you get into the whole bowl game element of opt-outs that's where it gets even more confusing and i'm about to talk that talk about that in a second because that can go either way and it's it's a little bit hard to it's hard to kind of make sense of who has the advantage from that standpoint so for notre dame pine transferred out which we talked about foskey and mayor not surprisingly they opted out they're potentially first mayor is definitely a first round pick foskey is potentially a first round pick or second round pick and then cam hart who was injured in the last game, he was injured late in the season. He's shut down now with a shoulder injury. For South Carolina, their top two rushers have opted out, and their starting defensive back, Cam Smith, has declared for the NFL. So net-net, when you combine all that, you have Notre Dame's arguably the two most important offensive players, plus Foskey and then Hart. I think overall that's probably a bit of a bigger blow uh, compared to South Carolina's losses. Yeah, I I agree. And and, and all the opt-outs, by the way, makes this – an exhibition game, right? I'm never the biggest believer in, in bowl games as a measuring stick for your program. I think the recruiting and the extra practices you get mean a heck of a lot more. And so I always try to focus on one thing. So a couple of years ago, Tom Reese, we were playing Iowa State. We had opt-outs. Iowa State had opt-outs. They thought Iowa State's coach might be leaving, and then he wound up not leaving. It was an exhibition game. The one thing I was watching was that was the interim offensive coordinator game for Tom Reese to see if he would get the full-time job. So I was squarely keen in on whether or not the play worked or not. Did I like the play calling in that game? That's the only thing I was watching for. Here in this game, that is Tyler Buckner. Tyler Buckner is storylines one, two, three, and four for Notre Dame football fans in this game. He obviously played the first two games of the year against Ohio State Marshall. We lost both those games. He looked pretty shaky in both. The offense was sputtering in both. We didn't have a run game. Now with Tyler Buckner back and healthy, Drew Pines out the door. We know Minchie's coming in. The transfer quarterback is up in the air. Tyler Buckner is the storyline. If he looks like the real deal, whether it's against South Carolina as an average defense or a good defense or a bad defense, how does Tyler Buckner look will be the number one thing I'm assessing in this game. 
The second storyline, if, if you wanted to pick one, is the young defensive players. There's going to be a lot. Jalen Sneed, Prince Kali. Um, I always screw up his name, but Junior, Tullalamaka, sorry for getting the name wrong. Three young linebackers that, that are supposed to get playing time. Jaden Mickey, it sounds like Cam Hart is likely not going to go with an injury, although he did announce he's coming back next year for a fifth year, which is great news for Notre Dame fans to get Cam Hart back again. Um, but Jaden Mickey, who got picked on in the USC game, true freshman, that was really the first full game he played, sort of a starter's role. How does he look against South Carolina? So I think the young defensive players getting a preview of what we look like next year um, is is a, is another really big storyline. Mike, maybe before we get into high-level matchups and predictions, who else do you stands out from South Carolina as their go-to players um, that, that we should be watching for? Yeah, so I think you got to start. We already talked about Spencer Rattler. That's 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 the really obvious pick, so I'm going to move beyond that. But I, I think you got to go with Antoine Wells here. So he's a wide receiver, 900-plus receiving yards, six touchdowns. Basically, when this guy's clicking, the offense just goes. So 131 uh, yards and two touchdowns, for instance, against Clemson. So a huge effort that was really key to them winning that game. And then, again, in against Tennessee at 170 yards. So when the South Carolina offense is looking really dangerous and when they're when they have a lot of explosive players plays they're generating a lot of points and they're capable of beating some of these top teams this is the guy who's really key to all this and then flip that around against their notably like one of the worst games of the season against florida he had only 16 yards so if you can contain this guy i think your odds of holding south carolina in check uh, i think that the math changes quite a bit um, and then mo- moving on, moving to defense, I wouldn't say there's really anyone there that stands out. We mentioned one of their top, uh, defensive backs is, is onto the NFL. So he's not around. Other than that, it's a bit of a group, ap- group effort, not a particularly scary front four. They have just 19 sacks on the year and, and no one had more than four. So there's no one you'd really hone in on here as, as an impact player. The secondary aside, even from their, their, their top player who was, uh, Cam Smith, that's who it is, but uh pretty solid. So like overall, a pretty solid secondary. They still have three of their four best corners. They're all healthy. Darius Rush, Marcellus Dial are, are two names to keep an eye on. They're solid. Safety, Nick, Emma, I might get this name wrong. Emma Nwari is a leading tackler in the secondary. So definitely, definitely a strength of the defense here. So for me, on offense, Antoine Wells, on defense, there's not anyone in particular who stands out, but I think their secondary is still pretty solid. Moving into score predictions, you mentioned it earlier. SP plus has South Carolina favored by two, two and a half points on a neutral field. And interestingly, SB Plus can't account for things like opt-outs and transfers, which we think favors South Carolina. So if anything, without Mayer, without Foskey, um, you're looking at South Carolina probably more like a four to five point favorite in the advanced metrics. But Notre Dame is actually favored by two points in Las Vegas. And ESPN has Notre Dame winning this game 67% of the time. So the advanced metrics, Las Vegas, the different win predictors are all over the place on this one but generally have it a pretty close game. Um, so two points, especially in bowl season mode, looks like a really competitive, close matchup that, that could go either way. Mike, what are you keyed in on, and, and what's your score prediction? So I think the biggest matchup that I want to look at here is basically the Notre Dame run game on offense versus the South Carolina run defense. So we, we mentioned it a little bit before. South Carolina's run defense has been pretty non-existent. 
I'm just going to mention some stats here on line yards, which, which we alluded to already. But South Carolina on defense, they give up about 3.5 line yards per game, which ranks 124th in the country. One of the worst teams in the country when it comes to line yard. They just give up a ton of push. Whereas Notre Dame, on the other hand, this has been a strength of the team. So we, we tend to, our, our offensive line generates about 3.3 yards uh, line yards uh, per carry, which ranks us about 34th. So I think we've also mentioned this is what partially why South Carolina, this is a big reason why South Carolina gives up a pretty high success rate. So I think if Notre Dame is really able to exploit this matchup, if we're able to just, just bully them on the offensive line, get a bunch of rushing yards, I think, I, I think we should be able to stay on track and maybe essentially assert our will and, kind of wear out South Carolina over the course of the game. And this would also help the defense to keep them fresh. We can get, dominate time of possession, which isn't like, again, t- time of possession is not necessarily something that's like a critical element to winning the game. But if you are dominating the time of possession just because you're able to just run the run the ball down a team's throat, that, I think that's a little bit different. So I think if we're capable of doing that, like these numbers would suggest that we should, over the course of the season, we've done it at times, other times we haven't. But I think this is a good matchup for our team and it's one that we should hopefully be able to exploit. So I think I think kind of bearing that in mind, that that gives me some optimism that that we should be able to kind of accomplish what we want against South Carolina and and have a good game. I mean, I don't think we're going to dominate them necessarily. I think there's still some risk that they could just their Antoine Wells could just go off. Spencer Rattler could have a really good game. I think I'm inclined to go with a score of, let's say, 32-28 Notre Dame. So I have been terrible at predicting scores all year long. No one should listen to my advice on this. Please, please do not go bet on my advice. But I think this will be very binary. I think Notre Dame either wins by a lot or loses by a lot. Kind of like our season's gone all the way along. Kind of like, frankly, South Carolina's season's gone along. Both these teams have had big underwhelming performances and big overwhelming performances. And to me, the binary factor will be Tyler Buckner. So good defenses against the run have not been able to figure us out this year. Clemson wasn't able to do it. Syracuse wasn't able to do it. Bad defenses against the run, though. USC and uh, Navy in particular and, and a few others were able to slow down our run game. Uh, Marshall, Stanford were able to slow down our run game. And South Carolina probably falls in that category of bad run defenses or okay run defenses that were able to just completely sell out against the run, make us one-dimensional in the past game, and, and Drew Pine couldn't beat them. And that was kind of the formula when we would struggle in those games. Tyler Buckner, though, can bring balance in two ways. One, he truly adds the O in run-pass option of being a running threat quarterback in a way that Drew Pine wasn't. And two, the hope is that he's the better passing quarterback. So if you have the same running game that we had all year, that so long as the other team wasn't completely selling out against, our run game would be dominant. If we have any improvement at quarterback play that that can add a little more balance, a second dimension, either with his arm or his legs, by the way, it doesn't just have to be passing the ball. If Tyler Buckner proves that his escape ability and and ability to move the ball with his legs is, is a big advantage... I don't think South Carolina can match up with that. I, I just don't see that. And so I think that's going to happen, but I might be wrong on that. If I'm wrong on that, this score prediction will be wildly off. But I've got Notre Dame winning this one 34-17, very comfortable. Our defense bottles up Spencer Rattler. I get we're without Foskey and Cam Hart, but this isn't Caleb Williams and USC's offense. And, and other than Caleb Williams, Notre Dame's defense has been just fine shutting down 
much more prolific offenses than, than what they're going to see, um, from, from Spencer Rattler. This isn't Drake May. This isn't Jaron Hall. This isn't CJ Stroud. This isn't Caleb Williams. I think the defense is up for the test. And I think if our offense is clicking with Buckner, who by the way has now been practicing for a month, it's not like he's just coming in cold. He's going to have a few weeks of practice here. I'm feeling pretty bullish that Notre Dame could win big. I also might be wildly wrong and no one should take my advice. I mean, that's the key with bowl games. It's just, they're impossible to predict. It's, there, there's so many random elements that go into it. You have the opt-outs. Also, even just like player motivation. Frankly, that comes into play a lot too. Like, is the team going to really want to get up and play this? So yeah, I mean, I'm inclined based on what you're saying, Brett, to think Notre Dame shows up well. I didn't pick a big win. You, you did. I mean, I, I think it's certainly possible based on kind of some of these, uh, some of these factors that you're mentioning. So. So we'll see. We'll, uh, yeah, keep our fingers crossed. Hopefully we get a big Irish win. Hopefully Peyton Bowen, uh, you know, decides to play for Notre Dame for free. You know, maybe he'll, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe he'll say, Hey, the NIL money that you're going to give to me, you know, give that, give that to someone else, you know, give that to the next recruiting class. But so, so, so we'll, we'll see. There's a, a lot going on in the next couple weeks. Awesome. Well, uh, Merry Christmas and a happy new year to all of our listeners. We'll be back in 2023 to recap the Gator Bowl. Until then, Gyrish beat Gamecocks. Gyrish beat Cox.